Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. A lot of great stuff for you on the podcast today. Got an in-depth interview on Penn State and college football recruiting with Tyler Calvaruso from Lines 247 coming up here in the second segment. And in the third segment, by popular demand, we're going to talk some wrestling. I've had a number of people on the site mention they want more wrestling coverage, both written and maybe some podcasts. So I've got my good buddy, Nate Cobbler, from the Center Daily Times. We get into a great wrestling discussion about Penn State. That's in the third segment here in a bit. I've been a little under the weather this week. Uh, had a little bit of a cold. And when I get a cold, kind of the last stages of it are I, I get a pretty good cough. And then I kind of lose my voice a little bit. So I, I don't have a lot of voice. Um uh, to do this first segment, I, I'd recorded the other interviews earlier in the week. So those are all done. Great discussions. Be sure to listen to those. This first segment where I actually have to talk now, it's going to be very brief. I encourage you to go check out my story at DK Pittsburgh Sports on the introductory press conference of Andy Kotilnicki. Um, I, I wrote kind of what we, what we learned about him. Very energetic and passionate guy. Uh, really good dude. Won the press conference. You know, can he call plays against Ohio State or Michigan? We'll find out. But he's a very, very interesting guy and uh, certainly very likable. You can see just, you know, we we got 35 minutes from him in a press conference and you could tell right away, you know, there, there are a lot of things to like about Andy Kotilnicki. So go check out that story at DK Pittsburgh Sports. And then also we've had some news about uh, guys declaring for the draft. Right tackle Caden Wallace declares for the draft. Linebacker Curtis Jacobs uh, declares. Um, we had already heard from Chop Robinson, Theo Johnson. So those guys are going to declare they will not be back next year. Um, they're all going to play in the bowl game except for Chop Robinson. So these guys who are Declaring early, Caden Wallace, Curtis Jacobs, Theo Johnson, they've mentioned they're going to play in the Peach Bowl. So uh, that's uh, that's cool. Glad we'll get to see them. I don't know that we're going to get to see them a lot. I think it'll be uh, a very limited number of plays, but they're going to go down there and play and enjoy the experience. No word yet on Olu Fashionu. Uh, full expectation is that he will enter the draft. And I don't know if he's going to play or not. I Maybe he might come out for a series or two, but... Uh, I would think uh, very strong possibility that he will not play. And then we'll see about some others. The one interesting one uh, to me uh, was Caden Wallace. I figured Caden would probably declare he could have come back and used his COVID year for another year of eligibility, but uh, he'll be heading out. So then that means they'll lose. Uh, they'll lose Olu. They'll lose Hunter Norzad at center. And then they'll lose Caden Wallace. So that's three starters on your offensive line. And then Sal Wormley, also the right guard, could decide uh, to uh, go ahead and, and and enter the draft as well instead of using his COVID year. Uh, we'll see what Sal has to has to say, um, or if he decides to come back. If he leaves, that's four linemen that uh, you'll have to replace and and. The offensive line has been a question mark for Penn State for a lot of years. And, you know, I know people have high expectations for next year, expanded playoff and all that. Uh, but, boy, if you're if you're having to replace four offensive linemen, 
that could be a pretty big challenge. So uh, that's kind of the news of the week. We had Bowl Media Day on Friday. A lot of discussion about uh, Andy Kotilnicki. No news yet on the defensive coordinator. James Franklin was asked when he wants to get that hire made, and he said, quote, yesterday. Um, so uh, that's pretty much it for the news of the week. Stick around for these next couple of segments. Outstanding interviews, a lot of great stuff on recruiting and then wrestling coming up here on the podcast. some Penn State and college football recruiting. Early signing day is coming up here next Wednesday. And uh, James Franklin was asked about the crazy, hectic schedule that college coaches have to deal with early December with transfer portal, signing day, uh, coaches coming and going, all that kind of stuff. It, it is a crazy, crazy time. Tyler Calvaruso from Lines 247 joins me right now uh, to kind of dig into Penn State's recruiting. What's going on today, buddy? How you doing, pal? I'm doing well, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Any chance I get to talk ball, I'm all for it. So hey, I'm that, glad we're doing this. That's great. I appreciate it. Again, early signing day is Wednesday. Before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of Penn State's class, um, just all the craziness that is taking place right now. A lot of coaches do like the early signing day. They can get their commits in. But is there any push or talk, Tyler, or pressure to to change the early signing day? Could they do it earlier? Could they do it go back later? Uh, because again, it's putting all kinds of time constraints on coaches at this time of year. Where are we with that? It is. And, you know, it always comes up in some of my conversations with coaches, and it's kind of a mixed bag, some of the feedback I get. You know, some guys like it where it is. Others, you know, prefer maybe a little bit of an earlier timeline. And then you have some who kind of just like to go back to the original February signing day. So coaching staffs can use December to kind of sort through this first wave of transfer portal madness and have that be the sole focus as opposed to, you know, having to sign all your guys in December. And from a Penn State perspective, fortunately, the majority of this class has been locked up since the summer. And this is a group where there hasn't been a ton of wavering among the commits. So Penn State hasn't had to play that game to keep guys on board as it has in previous cycles. So this one has been a little bit more of a mellow cycle for Penn State in December. Majority of the focus has been able to be on the portal and all of that craziness. The majority of the 2024 activity has come through in-home visits with the commits. So the staff has been pretty, you know, keyed in on that aspect of high school recruiting right now. But to the original question, it really depends who you talk to. It seems like everyone has an individual preference. And, I mean, as everyone knows, the NCAA is always looking to tweak things, and they're tweaking the recruiting calendar, and they're tweaking the guidelines. So could change come at some point? I definitely wouldn't rule it out. If it were to change, would it come early, like at the end of November, like during the still the regular season, or what? You know, I could see a scenario playing out that is somewhat similar to the basketball model where you could sign guys early fall and kind of get that done early. So it would come a little bit earlier in the season. The regular season would still be going on. And, you know, it creates kind of an interesting scenario for college coaches because now that you have official visits playing out, 
during the spring and summer. And now recruits have the opportunity to take unlimited official visits. You know, will you take the approach of scheduling more visits and kind of condensing that to the spring and summer? You know, what is the importance of game day visits in the fall for recruits who are in that immediate cycle? So there's a lot that goes into it regarding thought process. But I think if a change were to occur, I think it could be something mirroring the current basketball model. And why was it changed from February uh, to the early portion to begin with? What led to that uh, to that change a handful of years ago? I think the original thought process there was, you know, there was a lot of movement late in cycles post bowl game, and there were coaches who kind of preferred things. They wanted things wrapped up in an earlier manner. They wanted to be able to turn their attention to the following recruiting class a little bit earlier. Because you got to remember, Corey, you know, January is a great time for programs to host junior days. And that's what Penn State has always done and will continue to do. Their first junior day is scheduled for January 13th, and there will be multiple throughout the course of the month. So in this instance, the staff will be able to focus solely on those 2025 junior day visits. That will also feature some 2026 recruits in the future class as well. So a lot of the original thought press was, you know, kind of turning the page a little bit earlier and being able to move on to the next cycle a little bit earlier. I think that was kind of the driving force behind the original decision. I enjoy picking your brain on this because I'm not a, a big recruiting guy. I follow what I have to. So I'm curious your thoughts on this. Anybody listening to this is most likely a Penn State fan. So you you live in your own bubble of how does this affect my team? How does this affect Penn State in this particular case? So when we're talking about all this, uh, the early signing period has always seems to be great for Penn State. I mean, they James Franklin talks about they get everybody signed or, you know, almost everybody. I think last year there might have been one straggler, but they get everybody in. The, the, they get the letters of intent in and it's a smooth process. It's a, it's a big shebang. It's really good. But there are other teams in the country that aren't Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Georgia. There's the Central Michigans of the world. There's the Cincinnati's of the world. There's there's Houston. There's Washington State. I mean, there's there's all kinds of teams around the country that aren't necessarily in the giganto category uh, of resources. How do how do those programs, more of the middle of the pack or the uh, God forbid, the lower of the pack, the Akron's of the world? How do they feel about the recruiting calendar? You know, in some instances, it's kind of a positive because there are situations where recruits, and you know, this happens, it's part of the game. Recruits from who have been committed to high-level programs for an extended period of time, you know, sometimes tough conversations are had. Those guys are told, you know, maybe the opportunity that was once here for you is no longer available. And, you know, some guys get processed. So some guys wind up hitting the open market a little bit later in the cycle. You know, we've seen it multiple times across multiple power five programs where guys get processed late and they're left searching for a new home all the way up until February. So for, I don't want to say lower level program, cause I don't want to talk down on any other program, but for programs who aren't in the ilk of, you know, the Penn States of the world, the Michigans and the Ohio States, like you mentioned, sometimes it's actually a little bit of a benefit because Maybe you can get guys who, you know, weren't previously considering you. Now they are because they, you know, they're kind of in a rush to find a new home before the February signing day rolls around. There's also the potential for late risers to pop up as senior season film continues to circulate, you know, so that's a benefit to 
seniors in high school who are still searching for an opportunity. And it's a benefit to the lower level programs that still have holes that need to be filled and voids that need to be filled. So again, you know, you talk to those coaches from those programs, some do like, you know, getting things wrapped up in December and having their class in place, if that's possible, if that's a situation that presents itself for those programs, that's great. And they love it. But a lot of them, you know, they're content with where things are at because that February signing day is still in place. And the opportunity for them to get those, you know, previous Power 5 commits who are now back in the open market and the late risers, it still remains in place. So that's a positive for those kinds of programs. Tyler Calaruso from Lions 247. For my money, 247 Sports, uh, really far and away, the best recruiting coverage in the country. It's my go-to source, the rankings, everything, all the resources. And uh, one last thing, because, uh, again, there's there's so many different elements we can go to from a recruiting standpoint. Before I get to uh, the Penn State stuff, I'm going through uh, the top 50. I'm at 20, Ole Miss, 24, UK. I'm like, where's Colorado? Where, where's where's Coach Prime? Where, where's the sports person of the year? 34 is Rutgers. I'm down to 37. Here's Duke. Here's 40. Here's Pitt. I got I get down to 50 and I've got to hit hit more. And then there's Colorado at 53. So what what's going on? I mean, I thought this guy was the greatest thing in the history of the world from a college football standpoint and recruiting and all that. I'm what what's happening with Colorado recruiting? I'd say there are multiple things going on there. You know, there was some overturn on the staff midseason. You know, we saw it with Sean Lewis no longer assuming offensive coordinator duties. And, you know, postseason, there's been some movement on the staff, and that has resulted in some decommitments from high school recruits at the Colorado program. You know, Deion Sanders, it's pretty clear he has a desire to build through the portal. And, you know, I don't want to shortchange their high school recruiting efforts because they did just land Jordan Seaton, who's a five-star from St. John's College High in Washington, D.C., and that was a big-time get for that program. But, you know, as time has gone on, you know, maybe some recruits are kind of starting to separate hype from substance, and I think they're starting to realize, you know, as appealing as Colorado may sound on the surface, you know, you get out there for a visit, you see how things really go. Maybe it's not what you thought it was going to be. Maybe the opportunities on the NIL front aren't what you thought they were going to be. And then you see the product on the field, and maybe that turns some guys off as well. And then, I mean, of course, you know, the overturn on the coaching staff that I mentioned, recruits do appreciate continuity. And when a program moves the position coach or a coordinator that a recruit has a longstanding relationship with, it's going to impact things in the immediate class and in the future class as well. Because, you know, coaches spend so long building relationships with recruits, that coach is no longer in place. Things change. So I think it's a multitude of things for Colorado at this point. You know, that 2025 class, I'm really interested to see how that plays out for Deion Sanders because it seems like once again, they're going to be going portal heavy. So how does that impact the numbers in the 25 class? And how does that impact the way high school recruits view opportunity at Colorado? We're just going to have to see. Uh, that's great stuff. That's great stuff. Signing day, early signing day coming up Wednesday. Penn State has the number 13 class from 247 Sports for the class of 2024. Uh, good class, not not a great class. Penn State's kind of hovered in that, you know, trying to be in the 5 to 10 range uh, for the last few years. 13 is certainly very good. The recruiting has been going very well for a number of years. Are they happy with 13? Did some things happen that, that cost them a shot at a top 10 class? And is, is this a highly thought of class or are they, are they maybe still a few spots below where they would want to be? 
know, there were some misses in the class with certain prospects, such as life on the recruiting trail. You know, you're not going to have an 100% hit rate. That's something that, you know, Penn State is well aware of. And they are very content with the class that they do have in place. I mean, you look at the top of the class, you have Luke Reynolds, who went from a tight end prospect who was ranked, I believe, outside of the top 1,000 when he committed to Penn State. And we now have him ranked as the top tight end in the entire nation in the 2024 class. So that speaks to the evaluation skills of the staff, I would say. Quentin Morton was a big-time get. You know, Bell Vernon's standout was the guy Penn State wanted for a really, really long time, dating back to when he was an underclassman at Bell Vernon. So to go out and get that one done with some pretty fierce competition from some programs who were big-time NIL players, you know, that was a big deal for Penn State. They hit on multiple top targets on the defensive line. And Liam Andrews and the edge rusher from Maryland, Jalen Harvey, he was a top target for Deion Barnes, really for the moment he stepped in to the defensive line coaching job. So Penn State hit on a lot of guys that they wanted, and they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish at pretty much every position, especially at quarterback. You know, going out and landing Ethan Grunkemeyer, who has developed into a top 100 recruit out of Olentangy High in Ohio, that's big for continuity's sake. You know, there's three straight cycles Penn State has gone out and landed a quarterback who participated in the Elite 11 Finals, and not only participated in the Elite 11 Finals, but shined at the Elite 11 Finals in California. And Gronkemeyer has really been a top-tier leader in this class. You know, he didn't waver following the firing of Mike Erickson. He remained locked in with Penn State. He has just been a vocal leader behind the scenes with this class, keeping the group together, and just he's been outstanding from our perspective. So Penn State has... There's, there's a lot of optimism about this class and what it can accomplish when it makes the campus, when it makes it to campus. And the good news is the majority of this chunk is going to be enrolling early for the spring semester in January. So those guys are going to be getting to work sooner rather than later. With Grunkmeyer, what kind of skill set is he? Is he the pure prototypical pocket passer? Because Andy Kotelnicki is coming in. They were calling Kansas's offense a triple option kind of offense. And I keep saying Drew Aller ain't running no damn triple option. <laughs> I can't imagine Ethan Grunkmeyer is going to be running a triple option, nor will Katilnicki be asking them to. He's going to have to adapt to, to what, to the personnel. And we talked with him, with him about that a little bit earlier today. Is Grunkmeyer really just another Drew Aller? Is he? Closer to a more a little bit more of a Bo Probula, somewhere in between. What what's the future look like? I would say he's closer to Drew Aller than Bo Probula in terms of skill set. Can he move? Yeah. Is it his first instinct to move? Definitely not. He can use his legs to extend plays, get outside the pocket, and you know, take off and run when he has to. But primarily, his game is you know standing in the pocket and utilizing his arm talent to make plays, and that's what he did. Throughout his senior year at Old Tangy, he was extremely accurate, completing nearly 70% of his passes. He almost touched the 4,000 yard mark. He led that program to an 11 and 2 record, which, you know, Old Tangy, that, that, those are heights that it really hadn't previously reached. There were some good programs. There were some good seasons from that program, but 11 and 2, that was a different level. And really, Gronkemeyer was responsible for that. Just the arm talent is definitely there. I also think the big thing with him is it's already heir apparent that he has the mental makeup to play quarterback in the Big Ten. He processes things really well. He reads defenses really well. He's quick and decisive with his reads. And that's I'd say that's probably the most important aspect of everything I just laid out. You know, sometimes you don't know how a high school quarterback is going to adjust going from that high school level to a power five conference where 
guys are flying around a hell of a lot quicker and you're going to have to make decisions a hell of a lot quicker. Even Gronkemeyer is already pretty adept at that, and I anticipate that translating at the next level. All right. If you can pick one guy, you know, it can be the five-star guy, Luke Reynolds or a Quentin Martin or somebody else. If you could pick one guy that you look at and you think, okay, uh, this guy is going to be a star. This is an Abdul Carter kind of player. This is, you know, a, a Chop Robinson kind of player. Uh, who who is a guy? Maybe it can be an under under the radar kind of guy right now. But who's a guy that you really like? I would say John Mitchell, top twenty four seven corner from Mandarin High in Jacksonville, Florida. You know, Mitchell didn't garner a lot of attention throughout his recruitment. He's a relatively quiet kid. But boy, can he play in his film. It's loud. It speaks volumes about how talented of a prospect he is. You know, there's opportunity in Penn State's cornerback room moving forward for young guys to get onto the field. And we've seen it time and time again. You know, if these guys go to Penn State and they show the staff that they can play with strong showings on the practice field, they show that they're familiar with the playbook, they show positive developments in the weight room working with Chuck Losey, they're going to be able to work their way onto the field. And Mitchell kind of profiles as a guy who can accomplish that to me. Great ball skills. You know, he's physical at the line of scrimmage. His length is good. He's just an all-around solid cornerback. And he's a guy Terry Smith has really loved throughout the cycle. He was the top name on Terry Smith's cornerback board when he committed back in April. You know, that commitment, it, kind of, it didn't come out of nowhere. It was kind of trending that way. But, you know, it came together in a hurry coming off an unofficial visit. And Penn State was really happy. To get that one done. There's one other guy I want to touch on, though, and that would be T.A. Cunningham, the four-star defensive lineman from Georgia. You know, his high school career, it's uh, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. When he was an underclassman, he started out as a five-star prospect, and he was it would look like he was well on his way to being an elite, elite recruit. You know, there were some things that happened off until he moved around a lot. He goes from Georgia to California where he wasn't ruled eligible by the CIF for his junior season until later on in the year. And then when he did get onto the field, onto the field, he was battling some injuries and was nicked up. And his junior season film wasn't what it could have been. You know, he didn't play as a senior after going back to Georgia. So there are some questions there. But I think when you look at T.A. Cunningham and you look at the physical traits that he has and you just look at the raw skill set and the upside there, let me tell you something. Deion Barnes can get that guy coached up and prepared to deal with the rigors of playing on the defensive line of the Big Ten. I think Penn State has a potential star in its hands. That's what it looked like he was going to be when he was an elite-level recruiter as an underclassman, and I still think that Cunningham has that in him. Last thing for you, for you personally, for somebody that is invested in this, and again, you're rattling all this stuff off the top of your head. You, you're clearly, you know, all this stuff, you're invested in it. It's, it's your, it's your job. It's probably your passion. You're doing all this stuff. So signing day rolls around. Is signing day like 10 Super Bowls rolled into one, the culmination of all the things that you do. I mean, we see Mel Kuyper at the NFL draft and his head spinning around with all this knowledge flying and everything for a recruiting reporter. Is that what signing day is like? In a sense, yeah, but it's probably a little bit different now than it used to be because you've got so much transfer portal activity going on. So that's a big thing that we're focused on throughout this month. I don't want to say it puts a damper on signing day in the early signing period with so much portal activity going on. You know, we kind of have to have our heads in multiple places at one time. So I think this weekend, you're all really going to start to lock into this signing day stuff 
get, you know, kind of getting everything together in that regard ahead of Wednesday. It's an exciting time. It definitely is. And it's an exciting time for these young men as well because you spend so long covering these guys and you get to see them realize their dream of playing college football at a high level and you get to see them put pen to paper. And, you know, you build relationships with these guys throughout the course of their recruitment. So, you know, there's an element of that that I would say plays into it. But really, man, once these guys sign and, you know, they're signed, still and delivered to Penn State, my attention goes right back to the portal and it goes right onto that 2025 class. So it's a never-ending thing. Signing day is a great day. But once everything gets done, it's right back to business. That's awesome. Great, great stuff, man. Tyler Calvaruso cannot recommend enough. Lines 247-247-SPORTS. Uh, the best there is, man. Tremendous insight, buddy. I can't uh, can't thank you enough for the time, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Anytime. All right, fantastic. Dynasty in collegiate sports right now belongs to Penn State Wrestling. 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 2022, 2023. Those are all the national championships that the program has won since 2011. I'd say Penn State Wrestling has the best dynasty in all of college sports right now. My buddy Nate Cobbler covers Penn State Wrestling for the CDT joins me. What's going on, buddy? How you doing, pal? I'm been good, man. How you been? What's it like being around that kind of program, Cobbler? Uh, you know, day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, where I was talking a little bit earlier about how Ben Roethlisberger is saying that maybe the Steelers tradition is done, you know, the standard, the standard being the standard kind of thing. Well, the standard is the standard for Penn State wrestling when it comes to just uh, unbelievable expectations. What is it? What is it like being around those people within the program? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, when I um, meet people that, you know, I'm just meeting for the first time, I tell them what I do and they're like, oh, that's got to be so that's going to be so great. So much fun. I was like. Yeah, it is to an extent, but it's rather boring too because you can only write about winning in so many different ways. Um, but you know, but you know, it's one of those things where um, you know, with, with the program itself, you know, you have all the success that it has had, but then you tie in the fact that they have their Nittany Lion Wrestling Club that has guys like Kyle Snyder and Kyle Dake, and um, the list can go on and on and on. And you, as a media person, that's in there you know, every week interviewing, you know, current, current team members and, you know, coach Sanderson, it's very humbling when, when those people like that are walking, walking past you and it's Olympic champion here and Olympic champion there. It's just like, it's uh, it's astounding. Well, that is funny what you said. I really laughed about that because nobody gives a damn what we in the media do, but that that's funny what you said that it's boring because look, I feel that way sometimes covering Penn State football, you know, week after week, you know, you know, you got eight, nine, ten, probably ten wins built into the schedule a lot of years. And so then the season comes down to Ohio State and Michigan. We talk about it all year. These two games are the season with Penn State wrestling. You take it even, you know, further. I mean, the season is what basically Iowa. 
the season is Iowa, and then you know the national championships, right? Uh, yeah, it's pretty much yeah, it's about it's about right. You got Iowa with a sprinkling of Ohio State and Michigan in there about every other year or so, and um, you know, but then it's you know it's the Big Tens and the Nationals, and I mean, Kale has gone on and said about how you know they don't really as much as they like their conference championship and. It doesn't really matter to them. It matters, uh, you know, at the NCAA championships because you're remembered for winning national championships and not conference championships. Um, so for them, um, you know, I feel like they they really don't care about the regular season. They lose the dole, they lose the dole. It doesn't matter, you know. Come uh, middle of March, what they care about. Yeah, that is interesting because of all these national titles they've won, there have been a handful of years where they didn't win the Big Ten title. Correct? Why, why is that? Obviously, you got have you have your eyes on the biggest prize, but why? Kind of looking back, um, is the Big Ten uh, championship not as significant for the program? Well, because you know you look at it when it comes to the Big Ten championships, you have fourteen teams. That's all there's going to be fourteen because of that's you know the amount of schools in the Big Ten um, that have wrestling programs and things like that. Now, come next year when you got UCLA and USC and Oregon and all these other schools coming in that don't have wrestling programs, it's going to be. A different, but still, it's still going to be your probably your core fourteen. But re- regardless, when it comes down to it, the conference championships, you know, Penn State guys are usually ranked one or two in the weight class. So therefore, you know, they usually end up or getting a buy into you know into a round where some of these other teams they are having guys that are competing in you know four rounds, and you know that Penn State's guys aren't able to you know, gain those same amount of points, whether it be bonus points or even, you know, kind of like placement points. Whereas you have the national championships where you have, you know, a lot more teams than just 14 involved and you got a 33-man bracket where, you know, kind of everybody's on a level playing field. You know, everybody's usually starting out with the with the first. But from there, plus you have other, you know, upsets that go ways. Um, in favor of Penn State or sometimes not in the favor of Penn State, but they somehow still seem to overcome those not-in-favor results, and they're putting five, six guys in the national finals every year. Nate Cobbler from the Center Daily Times joins us. Uh, Penn State's won a couple of dual meets already, off from a dual meet standpoint here for about a month or so. Uh, they do have uh, some some nationals coming up this weekend with the senior nationals. I'll get to that, that here in a moment because there are some Penn State folks there who are hoping to uh, advance maybe toward their Olympic goals. But just in general, Cobbler, um, like I said earlier, when you're around these guys, what's their level of confidence like? What is their level of, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, you know, some athletes I'm around, there's there's really a level of arrogance uh, I, I, I'll, I'll make no bones about it. Mike Yersich was a very arrogant guy. He he just was. He always came across as a very arrogant guy. And, uh, you know, he he ran into trouble and ended up losing his job. D- is there any sense of that with Penn State wrestling? Are they arrogant? Are they confident, cocky or just they 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 know they're good and they're humble about it? What, what what's what's it like being around them from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, you kind of you kind of touched on it right there as your last part where you said that they know they're good, but they're humbled about it. Because, you know, the sport of wrestling, it's one of those things where um, it's a very humbling sport because it's you and one other guy out there on a mat. And 
You know, it's not like it's a team sport where you, you know, where whether it be basketball, where it's you and four other people, or football, where it's you and ten other people at one time. It's you and one other person. And so, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of that too has to come down to the coaching. And you see, you see how how humble a guy like Kale Sanderson is. Um, you know, and his his guys, his wrestlers, tend to just take those traits on. Um, you know, there's a there's a, I guess you could say some people don't like the coaching style of um, Tom and Terry Brands out in Iowa because they, they kind of fly off the handle and they're taking shoes off, like they're going to throw them with people and things like that. And you kind of see that in their wrestlers that, you know, you had a guy like Austin DeSanto who's um, not there anymore because he graduated. But, um, you know, he kind of um, tempers kind of got to the better of him and he would kind of explode. And, you know, you just kind of see it uh, several times with Iowa wrestlers, but Nevertheless, you know, it, it really comes down to um, the, the coach that's, um, you know, leading these, these men because if you got a guy who's, you know, arrogant, they might pursue that arrogance in the room and thus it translates to their, their wrestlers on the mat and then, in, you know, out, out externally. Um, or if you have somebody that's humble and very soft-spoken like Kale, you know, that's going to go into the, his guys and that's how you see it um, with all of them. Now, you know, there's there's some some outliers out there where some people um, don't like the way Carter Starocki <laughs> presents himself. But when you are a guy like him who's walking the walk or talking the talk and walking the walk to back it up, um, you know, it's it's um, it, it can be it can rub off people. How can you argue against it whenever he's going out and he's backing up everything that he's saying? What is your perception for folks who see Kale Sanderson but maybe don't get a chance to be around him? What's it like to be around Kale? I mean, you're talking about an undefeated you know, college career, you know, maybe the greatest career in wrestling, all of wrestling history for an individual, uh, all things considered as a wrestler and as a coach. What is it like yeah. being around him? What would you What would you tell people when they ask you, hey, what's, what's Kale like? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it kind of just goes back to what you just said. He yeah, undefeated 159-0 collegiate career. He won four national titles. He won an Olympic championship. So, I mean, it's easy for somebody to have those accolades to have a big head, have a big ego, and, you know, and say I'm better than the world and nobody else is going to be, you know, on my same level. But he is, he is the most humble person you're ever going to meet. And it, it's one of those things where, the perception is that, you know, on the outside, he uh, might be this big tough guy, but he's a softy at heart, too. Um, when, it, when he broke the news to us uh, a couple weeks ago now about um, Shane Van Ness being out for the year with his injury, um, it, it was tough. He said he was getting choked up as he was when he first found out about it, and he was getting choked up when he was talking to us about it. So it's, it's one of those things where he may come off as a tough guy on the outside, or but internally with his guys, he's – He's uh he's very um you know like a fatherly figure I guess you could say. How surprised are people when you tell them that? And by this point, Kale's been there long enough. I think diehard Penn State fans know that he's pretty humble. But uh, when your friends or family ask, "Hey, what's Kale like? What's Kale like?" How surprised are they that he is so humble? Because you're right. I mean, you're talking about a champion of that magnitude. I mean, the 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 arrogance factor could be off the charts. Uh, if, yeah. if Kale Sanderson won, but that's, I've only been around him a, a few times. That's not him at all. No. Like they're flabbergasted. They don't, they, they never would have guessed that is the exact words that I usually hear. I never would have guessed that. 
And so, I mean, that's just it. I mean, if you, if you do that type of outward personality, that's going to trickle down into your athletes who then are going to also, you know, have that same personality in their dealings with the, with the world too. All right. You mentioned Shane Van Ness. He'll miss the rest of the season at 149. How big of a blow was that for him um, and the program? But where do they go from here now, Nate? What what do they have uh, behind Shane at 149? Could this end up being a problem? So to answer the first part of that question, as far as, um, you know, how much does it affect him? I mean, the week prior to that, we got to speak to him and he said about, he was all smiles ear to ear, um, talking about how Shane stomps was his motto for this year. <laughs> and, um, he just was just really looking forward to what was ahead of him after the success that he had towards the tail end of last year, you know, finishing as a third place, um, you know, in an all American, he was really looking forward to what was ahead of him for this year. And, you know, for it to be taken away, uh, I'm sure it was gut wrenching um, to him, and you know, Kale said it was very gut gut wrenching to himself. Um, you know, so as far as that goes, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you, um, I've told you before, you know, Penn State they don't rebuild, they reload, and so um, they have guys that are there. They have Tyler Kasich, who um, you know was in the uh, the dole there that. Uh, Shane was out against uh, Lehigh, and so then it, it would be thought that he might be the presumable starter um, because he was. He uh, Kale told us he was cutting some weight to get to forty-one to try to you know maybe position himself for the coming years since Bo Bartlett at one forty-one only has a year or two left. Um, but so now he might not have to worry about that, and he can you know stay at that. Stay at 149. They have a guy in David Evans um, who filled in at 141 for Bo Bartlett on this past Sunday's match at Ho- against Hofstra um, that couldn't possibly just you know bump up and wrestle 49. It's kind of kind of the ironic where it's the same situation where Bo Bartlett was um, just a couple years ago with uh, Nick Lee was still here as a 141 pounder um, and Bo you know he bumped up to 149 and was in that spot for two years so until this year where he came back down to 41. So, um, you know, they've got options. Um, is it the same level with Shane Van Ness? No, but you know, it's one of those things where they had really, you know, it was scary to think that Penn state could possibly put, you know, seven, eight guys in the finals come March, um, where now, you know, they lose one of those guys, but they still have a guy in Tyler Kasich who, um, still could have the possibility to be an all American, and, you know, they may have now a, uh, not to jump ahead, but they may now have a guy at 125 that could help, you know, alleviate some of that. Is is Kasich the guy? Will he ultimately be the guy at 149? I mean, I I would have to assume he would be um, just because the the way he performed against Lehigh. Now, again, you know, the, you know, he was cutting weight to get the 41. If he's going to be at a more natural weight of 149, and he's had success, um, you know, as a, as a high school athlete and also on the international stage. He's going to be one of those guys that's, um, you know, competing 
down at the senior nationals uh, this weekend in Texas with a couple of the other Penn State guys like you were talking about. And the question that always comes up, I've asked you this before, uh, Penn State fans always want to know what's happening at 125. Why can't they get a superstar there? They've got superstars, all these other weights. Where are they at 125 this year? Yeah, so, um, you know, they had the guy in Robbie Howard who was um, was set to come back this year. He's been off the mat for the past two years dealing with injuries. And um, he, you know, they had two uh, tournaments that they wrestled in in November there that um, Howard just seemed to really struggle. Um, and so, you know, he was presumed to be that to be that guy. Um, but then they have a true freshman in uh, Braden Davis from Michigan who uh, competed in that same tournament with Howard and Gary Steen, who was last year's starter. And Davis, um, he's, he's undefeated on the year. Uh, Steen got the nod against Lehigh, um, and he ended up losing against Lehigh. They started Davis against Hofstra, and Davis came out and got a major decision. Um, and we talked, we got to talk to Kale you know, after that match, and he just went on to say about, you know, just shows the type of character that Braden Davis has, um, to go out and, you know, near the end of the, in the end of his match, you know, he needed one more takedown in order to get a, a bonus point victory for the team. He went and got it. And Kale basically kind of said that, you know, that's who they're leaning towards now is their starter at 125 is, is the true freshman for Michigan. So. All right. Senior nationals are this weekend. Um, what's in store there? I know Kurt Vliet's got an opportunity to, to really uh, do some things. They've got six, seven, eight guys competing, uh, current and former guys. What's all, uh, at stake at senior nationals? Yeah. So, I mean, they got a lot of current, they got, uh, several former, but they also have several, uh, future, uh, Nittany Lions that'll be wrestling there too. Um, you know, so basically the, from, from my understanding, what I read is the top placers at the uh, senior nationals will get a spot in the Olympic team trials, uh, which is set for April uh, at the Bryce Jordan Center, uh, April 19th and 20th. And so, you know, when it looks, when it comes down to it, when it comes to the Olympics, they place the top four. They place uh, two bronze medalists, a silver medalist, and a gold medalist. So basically, you want to finish the top four. Uh, this weekend uh, in Texas to get a spot uh, to state college, you know, for April there. So, um, like you said, there's uh, for as far as current guys, uh, they got Kale Nazio at 57 kilograms. They have, let's see, who else they got? Um, trying to go through all the lists. Uh, like I said, we said Kasich there. Uh, Bartlett's going to be there. Kirk Levitt's going to be there. Then uh, Alex Secundo, who was taking an Olympic red shirt, is also going to be there. So they got a lot of a lot of current members there. Some past guys include Nico Megalutis, Morgan McIntosh, um, a guy that was there left in uh, Nick Suriano, which we all know that story there. That's been around the Penn State program for a while. Um, you know, so and then as, as far as future ones go, they got uh, guys like Joe Seely, who's a commit. Uh, they got Cole, uh, Mirasola and his brother, uh, up there from Wisconsin that are going to be in it. So there's a lot of Penn State ties, uh, that will be competing this weekend in Texas, trying to get that, uh, next step to state college to then hopefully have a chance to make the Olympic team and, uh, you know, get to Paris. All right. We'll talk to you later on about this. 
uh, a little bit more in detail. But is this going to be another one of those ho-hum, boring years where they just roll through everybody and win another national title? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, It's like you said, when the year started, you know, they were looking at maybe seven or eight finalists, um, you know, with the way things were lining up, panning out. Um, Now you're probably looking about, you know, you say now you're looking at six or seven. But, you know, it's just it's amazing to see just how this team just continues to um, just excel uh, every year. And, you know, it's scary to think that Carter Starocki made a comment to us a couple weeks ago saying about how, you know, this team could be even better this time next year, even with him and a guy like Aaron Brooks not on the roster. So um, it's one of those things where there doesn't seem to be any other team um, that has as much depth, I guess you could say, that could possibly, um, you know, match the level of Penn State uh, getting into the national championships. Thanks, partner. Always appreciate it, buddy. Uh, and we'll uh, look forward to catching up with you a little bit down the road, too. Thanks, Cobbler. All right. Take care, pal. All right, man. Nate Cobbler from the CDT. 